not to confuse things even further, but our Neil, <laughs> your AOC impression is just over. You're just doing this. The whole time. <laughs> is she driving? Is that what she's doing? Yep. <laughs> is that what she's doing? Okay. <laughs> Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Human Reaction, your weekly source for independent commentary on news, politics, and culture, where it's always our mission to arm you with the tools that you need to cut through media misdirection and resist the mononarrative. David, what are we talking about today? Ireland had some protests that turned into riots, which then sparked a debate around a bill to regulate the Internet, specifically dangerous memes. So the key parallels for both American discourse as well as global Internet freedom of speech and we're also going to discuss, in a similar vein, Michael Schellenberger drops a new hot record on uh, the censorship industrial complex. And we're going to get into Seth Rich and other stuff like that later. Yeah, and um, before we get into all that, just please remember to like and subscribe to wherever you are, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Rumble, etc. And uh, we also cover a variety of topics, so check out the chapter markers down below on your given platform and kind of jump to wherever you want to jump to that you're most interested in. And Join our Discord because more and more people are joining. So that's it's right. Fun. It's, it's fun in there. It's fun in there. There's a lot of memes that go around in there. It's mostly memes at this yeah. point, <laughs> which the which the internet or the Irish will try to censor. So well, they can't get into our server. We're, we're gonna we're gonna be very careful about vetting uh, the the server going forward to make sure there's not any operatives, right? Yes, yeah, <laughs> especially after this Michael Schellenberger story right. dropped. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to echo your point, Kyle, uh, we are. 50 YouTube subscribers away from 500, which is our first benchmark for monetization. It allows us to open up some really cool features that will make engaging with us on YouTube easier and more fun. So if you are watching this on YouTube and you are not a subscriber, which most of you are not, please do hit the subscription button and the notification bell. We do appreciate it. It helps us very, very much. And we appreciate your support. All right, let's get into the news. Well, first up, do we want to catch up on our open AI thing from last week? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Our, our last episode was recorded about an hour before the actual <laughs> news, like the big news broke on the open AI story. So a lot of the things that we were talking about at the time, it was currently believed that uh, Sam Altman was going to be uh, effectively like the CEO of this division within Microsoft on their AI research team, right? And then an hour after we recorded that episode, turns out he's going to be the CEO of OpenAI again. <laughs> so, <laughs> so our hot takes were not that that correct. Well, <laughs> I, I think that there's still a lot of validity to our takes, even though it's some outdated information, because like there is still an open partnership that exists with Microsoft. A lot of the dynamics that occurred with the decelerationists and kind of that civil war that occurred, all of that still happened. And a lot of people are kind of canned. And then all, all the most important people at OpenAI are back so like it's all still true it's just happening at open ai rather than it's it's, Microsoft, the, right? it's the asset and liability of having a weekly podcast right uh because we can step back and not talk about the larger issues and not get bogged out in the details but sometimes you know you're going to talk about something tonight and then the story is going to change before you can react to it true so if we were a daily we could come out and do this sort of thing then next day so hey that didn't happen this actually happened right yeah. just yeah. a different just a different vibe for our show versus others. And I have to imagine the friendliness between OpenAI and Microsoft after this is they're probably pretty tight now. Mm. Um, I have to imagine with everything that happened with Brockman and Altman and everybody over there, like they're probably quite appreciative of Microsoft throwing them a bone or yeah. they were going to. And like, 
So probably some yeah. lasting ripple effects yeah. in the AI industry from this whole thing, even though it didn't end up yeah. that Sam Altman stayed at Microsoft. And the two have already had an open partnership, right? Like they're building computer chips together. They're, uh, you know, they're researching AI together. Like, so all that stuff is still very much in effect. And I, I have a, to imagine it's still, it's just going to be stronger now. Yeah. Is that like that open partnership? Is that like ethically non-monogamous or <laughs> they, they can see uh, other people on the side? I've or? heard a lot of rumors about, about, about that type of stuff over there, but we won't get into that. There. That's some freaky stuff. <laughs> well, speaking of things changing rapidly, um, it, it, it has been maybe a little less than a week since the knife attack that occurred in Dublin, Ireland, which as you mentioned at the top of the show resulted in, the, these protests that resulted in riots eventually. David, why don't you take us through what happened? What was the initial event that sparked all this stuff? And then what, what was the re- reaction from the public? So what happened was a female teaching assistant defended some students from a man attacking her them with a knife, uh, as well as several other folks uh, who helped restrain the attacker. And eventually the police show up and got the guy. Um, a lot of the dynamic here is a media dynamic, right? This is a really the story is so many layers to it because the the finest and most you know obvious like attack vector that the people who are most concerned about it are taking it from is the media is lying to you, and it's very clear that they are right. They very specifically suppressed who the person was by their demographics because they were worried about you know anti immigrant black backlash. Like that's their argument. Uh, so they very specifically refused to say it. And then finally someone found out who the the, the, the gentleman, no, I don't hate to say the word gentleman there. Don't want Conor McGregor to come after me. The dude, <laughs> the asshole, sorry, that did the attack was uh, was Algerian. Uh, and a refugee in the refugee program from Algeria, if I remember right, uh, who had been in the country for 23 years, never had a job, and had been on public housing the entire time. And it came out as well had a previous conviction of a knife attack a few years prior. back in like 2005 or something like that. Okay. So and he, was, he was supposed to get deported and then he got brought back in and got like on the fast track to a passport. Yeah. Um, is my understanding of right. kind of that occurrence with him. And so the motive is unclear and the police have been very clear about that. I like think there is no known motive for it. Most cases of this sort are probably going to be a mental illness sort of situation, um, but you never know, right? I mean, it is a very tense moment in the Muslim world. Algeria is a very Muslim country, uh, so it's hard to say why, what the guy's motive was, but it wasn't like he was attacking a bunch of Jewish kids. There were a bunch of Irish kids and actually other immigrant family children, so it's a very strange um, story that, of course, the the when you know, we all heard about in America is when they introduced an internet censorship bill to stop political violence from happening based upon the protests that turned into a riot the, the day of. Okay. So this is kind of the timeline attack happens. It gets out that that guy, guy is Algerian by that night. There's a protest of around 500 people that turns into a riot. 34 people are arrested and there's a bunch of, you know, property damage. Yeah. So the, the initial protest, what was, what were they protesting specifically? Was this, was this just, you know, solidarity with those who were harmed or was, was there a, a more political motive there as well? It seems to me that there's, there's been a lot of pent up resentment just across Ireland as a whole over the immigration stuff, the bringing in refugees, um, also just the general economics in the country, uh, especially post 2008, the housing market is insane there. So you, you have a, you have kind of like a widespread homeless problem that's starting to occur there too. And I think there's just like a lot of pent up resentment. So when this happens, it's like the nail in the coffin, you know, pot boils over 
type of a situation. Right, right? because you have an immigrant attacking yeah. Irish citizens uh, and then the Irish citizenry going, okay, we don't want this. We're frustrated about all these other things and and this immigration issue that's causing some of these sticking points and turmoil. And so we're going to... Yeah, you know, speak up about it. And and there's the overall like Ireland's changing, our culture's changing. There's these NGOs basically like bringing in uh, refugees here, and they're getting government housing. Like every building's got like 300 to 500 at these like facilities and stuff of of people. Especially after the Ukraine war happened, there's a ton of Ukrainian refugees that came in. So it's not just like you know like Muslims coming in from Africa. It's also like Eastern Europeans coming in because of the Ukraine war. Which I think there's an interesting topic there too of you know these large foreign policy things, how much they completely shift the demographics of given countries because refugees are fleeing their terrible places that they're at because bombs are going off everywhere. Right. Right. And I think important to note too, as we kind of grapple with the immigration issue uh, and subject generally in the United States, you know, the scale of Ireland is much smaller. It's a population of 5 million five people. Million, yeah. Whereas, you know, we've got 330 plus million people here. So it's a, it's a much different scale that, you know, 141,000 total immigrants coming into the country last year is a much more substantial number there than it would be here. Yeah, it'd be basically unnoticeable, you know, if, if that was all we were having coming in through America, you know, right? Yeah. But in Ireland, when you have small island, like, it's not that big, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, and then there's the police and media kind of elite response, right? So there's a very clear insider-outsider dynamic happening here with a very clear large name conor mcgregor getting into the middle of it on behalf of the everyday man which is a real big part of why this became a global phenomenon was conor mcgregor tweeting about it he was responding to the the stabbing right and then all these you know the way that the media categorized anyone who was critical of it such as uh the police chief talking about the riot was these are scenes that we have not seen in decades, but it's clear is that the people have been radicalized through social media. This was before the introduction of the bill. He said on Thursday, Harris described the rioters as quote, a complete lunatic hooligan faction driven by far right ideology. Mm. Doesn't that sound like it was written by CNN? It like really Don does. Lemon wrote that particular. Well, he's not at CNN anymore. Well, I know, but, you know. <laughs> the, the, but it Vivek sounds like him. <laughs> Wait, Vivek got him fired? Yeah. yeah. You don't remember yeah. that? Oh, no. I don't. Oh, I remember yeah. it was like the whole like, he, he's just like, or whatever you are, because he, he like couldn't tell oh, you what that's is. right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, uh, talking about but racial it, issues. Which I think it does raise an interesting thing there too of just like the era that we live in if conor mcgregor wasn't tweeting about this like it wouldn't have blown up into a story at all like nobody would know that this was happening but it was it took over x in particular but social media uh, purely because one man was tweeting about it right mm-hmm. like i think there's something interesting to that one of the biggest uh ufc fighters in the world yeah to be fair well and, and he's like irish hero like he is like the guy that all the men look up to in Ireland, right? Like he is the, uh, you know, the hero archetype of Ireland He's right the now. Joe Rogan of Ireland. <laughs> sort of. He'd be more like, I don't know. What would you say? Like, I, I don't know, like some big warrior figure, you know? Jocko. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like we, that, we, we can go all, but way all bigger. That, but I mean, like it's, it's really different. Yeah, it's yeah. like Michael Jordan in the nineties. There you go. That, yes. That's there what we think yeah. about. There you go. Uh, he's just a sports figure that is so dominant there because of the way their culture relates to his sport. 
Um, it's blown up there. Like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is way bigger in Ireland now than before mm-hmm. Conor McGregor. Uh, boxing was bigger. Now boxing mixed with kickboxing is bigger. Yeah. Uh, there's so much to the way he's impacted Irish society that you know him talking about this, not from the point of view of the media elite and the way they've been talking about it, but from the way normal people in Ireland are probably thinking about it. Uh, from what we've seen, I mean, looking into Irish Twitter, which I know you spent some time on, mm-hmm. as well as some, you know, uh, other content creators that we know out of Ireland that, you know, this is a, this is a complicated issue where you have the media elite basically saying to the everyday person, if you at all criticize the immigration policy, you're a racist. That's what they're suggesting with all of this. When they say far right, we think of the Tea Party. When they say far right in Ireland, they think of Nazis, right? I mean, like, it, 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 there's they're probably more sensitive to that attack than we are here because we're, we're kind of used to it. We get it all the time, but it seems like there's a bigger, like there's more resistance, more like America to that right now mm. uh, because people are just had enough. There's just that much fed up with it, whether or not it's actually legitimate, right? Which is, I think is an open debate. How much of this is just people's impression or reality? Like how much of this is perception of what's going on? How much of this is because the media is not talking about it, but they see it everywhere. It creates more resentment than if there was an open and interested dialogue in it. But instead, the response is we need the government to manage social media content so people don't have the wrong ideas. Right. And um, yeah, like you said, I mean, it's, it's hard for us to know as well, just being so far from it. We can only really see what we can see through social media. Obviously, we have some contacts in the country that hopefully we'll be able to to connect with and get on the show to yeah. provide a more I'm, on the I'm ground perspective. <laughs> but uh, it is it's tough to know exactly what's going on other than what's happening on on X. Um, yeah, just along this topic here, uh, I, I have a tweet here or a, a video clip from uh, the former mayor of Dublin, um, Hazel Shue. Um, where she had kind of an interesting uh, thing to say about this. Uh, and th- this is kind of all in the talking about how the media was hiding the ethnicity of this man because they didn't want to spark up the racism uh, narrative of this. So here is the former mayor of Dublin talking on this. When there are children being uh, the children that is going through senseless violence, the, the first part of call is unity job. The first part of call is to make sure that everyone is safe. No, everyone is safe and that you are a, a united front. So you, unity no, means... No, 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 wait, wait. You, you, you said that we didn't interrupt you, so please don't interrupt me. My point is, in a united front and responsible journal, uh, journalism, you send out a message to say what has happened, the facts behind it, and what should happen then. You do not start describing perpetrators and send okay. out a message. Oh. So the context of this clip right here is this is the guy that actually broke the story of, of who this man actually was, who this Algerian refugee was. He comes from an independent journalist, uh, um, journalism outlet called Gripped. And the media basically were all in lockstep on not describing that this man was actually Algerian at the time. So this is the former mayor of Dublin confronting him and being like, no, what you're not supposed to do here is actually give us the truth about the story. We're supposed to, journalists have a duty to come in and bring unity, right? Mm-hmm. That's the kind of narrative being placed over this. That's so interesting. That's such a departure from our, at least American perspective on journalism, right? And it's it's just further example of the fact that this sort of uh, censorship regime is a global phenomenon where it's now being, uh, you know, put on the public that the, that journalism ha- journalists have to keep us from knowing all the facts. They have to tell us what to think, not how to think, which is exactly like the thing that we're trying to undo a little bit here, right? right. It's uh, it's it's troubling, to say the least. That that they think that the Irish citizen, the average Irish citizen, 
can't understand that, okay, this guy might be from Algeria, but that doesn't mean that I can just go ahead and then blame all Algerian immigrants for this act or all immigrants in general. That's, right. that's ridiculous. Well, it's okay. So drastically, uh, underestimating the intelligence of the general public is what elites do, right? That's just what they do. They just, they, if you, you're, you're, you feel so special. Everyone looks to you. They say, sir, or ma'am, when they talk to you, you go to all the fancy restaurants, you're treated like this special person. And then, you know, you look at all the rubes and all their dumb opinions and be like, well, we need to tell them how to think. Yeah. Right. That's, that is the nature of being an elite. And that's ultimately what this is coming down to. A lot of the internet censorship question, as well as like the media question is the difference between how are you treated as a consumer? Can you tell the difference between an individual and a group? Right. Sometimes people can't, right. I mean, you know, we talked about it a lot recently on ethnic strife and things like that and different conflicts around the globe, as well as in America, right. At different times we're like, Hey, this is an error and we as the public can handle discussing that error. Yeah. Right. Well, it's almost, it, it raises the question for me, does it not inspire people uh, who might be, who might have those sort of tribalist tendencies to look more at blaming an entire, you know, race of people or people from a, an entire country for a thing when they're deprived of that knowledge up front, right? If you give them the, the honor of and the respect of expecting that they should be able to make those distinctions, are they more upset and more likely to make the exact opposite, you know, decision and movement That's right. when they find out that, that you've been sort of coddling them in that way? That's a, it's a classic case, right? It's a Game of Thrones quote. You know, when you cut out a man's tongue, everyone just wonders what he had to say, right? The minute that you censor and you basically say you can't say that is the minute everyone's eyes go to that thing and care about that thing. Yeah. So now they have to play this game, right? The game now is to obfuscate the dynamic that the, that the right wing is trying to leverage in this. Now, for the right or wrong, this is given a tremendous amount of leverage for the right wing to say, hey, there's, this, this system's broken, right? This is a watershed moment to demonstrate a, pro, a broken system. And so now they are basically saying, you know, hey, did you know that the, one of the people who disrupted the attack was a Brazilian immigrant, right, who had a job and was there on, a, on work basis and, was, and is trying to move his family up there and is trying to become a citizen in this way. Um, you know, that... that he got a tremendous amount of attention and coverage and thanks from the Irish public, of course. And additionally that it, it also, a lot of the people on the right were saying, well, he's the kind of immigrant we want. I mean, he was on his job yeah. and he stopped by to protect people. Not this guy who was a, you know, a, effectively an immigrant welfare queen yeah. for 23 years without a job. Yeah. And, you know, can you imagine, I mean, I can't imagine how broken your welfare system has to be where you get to the place where someone can immigrate there and then just take welfare forever. In America, you'd have to commit fraud to do that at least. At least there's a legal barrier there. This guy was doing it legally. That's wild. And I can't imagine that amount of resentment that would build for everyday people struggling for Irish taxes. Well, it's, it's the same, like, there's the kind of interesting parallel to what's going on in America right here, too, is the, uh, you could almost think of this, like, as an Irish first movement in the same way that there's the America first movement movement here, where there's all these problems that exist. Like, like I would mentioned earlier, the um, Ireland got hit way harder than most of the world on the, uh, on the 2008 financial crisis, where right now the average home in Ireland is 1.3 million euros um, to buy. Uh, like, 
like the economics there aren't great right now. And so like you have a lot of this energy that this populist energy that exists there where they're like, we have problems here at home right now. And you're like, so focused, you have all these NGOs coming in and they're all focused is like, well, we just got to bring in more people into, into the country. And everybody's just kind of like, yeah, but we got problems, right? Mm -hmm. It's the same type of thing that's going on in America where it's just like, let's stop doing all this stuff over there and let's start focusing on on over here. And And I think that's where the resentment lies. And some of that too is uh, a phenomena of, Ireland paying for their success. Now there was this phenomenon called the Celtic Tiger, which is they deregulated a whole bunch and they cut down regulations and they cut taxes and they did all this work in the early in the throughout the two thousands that resulted in a tremendous amount of economic growth in Ireland pretty much since you know mid two thousands late two thousands to till today, where their demand curve has gone up substantially without a corresponding amount of yeah. additional housing being built. It's a classic problem. Government's slow and ineffective. The market conditions have changed, but they got all the rules in the books from the 1990s on building and they can't build more. Yeah. Demand's going up, but supply staying the same, right? Right. Classic price goes up. Right. Simple economics. Hmm. So the uh, so there's this this problem of they have a dynamic growing economy for Europe even as like an outlier in Europe for for economic success. I actually did and when I was in college in uh, 2011, I did a huge report on Ireland and their deregulation efforts to get more investment into Ireland, how successful they were, and it's it's a it's a really interesting you know thing because what happened is there's a tremendous amount of wealth growth. And then there was a whole new sector of needful jobs and lower end employment that was now opened up and needful uh, for a lot of folks. Um, And that, and therefore expanded the immigration system and therefore more competition for lower wage jobs and therefore more social kind of concern about, Hey, how do we make sure that everybody benefits from the system? Yeah. I'm curious. So we know that a tremendous number of these immigrants that have come into Ireland recently were Ukrainian refugees from the war. We noted before we started recording that Ireland is not directly a NATO member, but they are sort of by way of, of Britain and the UK. They're right? NATO adjacent. They're NATO, yeah. NATO adjacent. I like that. Very internet term. <laughs> um, so, so with that, you know, it's, it sounds like there's a disconnect between what the Irish public want generally and what the elites are, are working for and working toward. What is the responsibility of the public in this situation to take their response beyond protest and riot, take it to the elites where it's going to hurt them the most in terms of, you know, their reelection effort. What can the people do on that front? I mean, isn't that, isn't that where they need to go with this? Uh, meme warfare. That's where they need to go with it. Meme right? warfare. <laughs> right? yeah, well, of course, cause like that's the, that's like the American way to get around it. Right. Is, is like speech. All right. I mean, the way we deal with our elites, not taking on our issues is criticize them. Right. Um, and that's one of the problems that they have is like, you know, if they shut down internet freedom of speech in Ireland, what outlet do they have to hold those folks accountable? Right. And they, you know, it's a, it's a strange issue, right? Because populism works to the degree that populism can be constrained in a way to actually create good outcomes. Right. And oftentimes it doesn't because it's all passion without like logic. And you know what I mean? Yeah. So the, you want that, combination of enthusiasm and passion that's backed by like solid policy reforms that can get you what you want at the end of the day. And, you know, there's been an effort in Ireland for a century now to get rid of all their censorship laws that allows the government to, you know, put pressure on media companies and stuff like that. Obviously, in this case, this is a win for freedom, free journalism, where they were able to expose the deceit going on by the media elites in Ireland on behalf of the people. It doesn't always work out great, right? America, we had exactly the opposite problem uh, come uh, last, uh, right before, right after this podcast that we did last week, um, 
we had uh, the attack in Canada. I don't want to get into that already. You got something else that you wanted to do that? No, no. Well, uh, I, I was just pulling up a, a tweet from late libs of TikTok, um, basically showing that the police in Ireland have declared that the term Irish lives matters is racist and is now considered a, um, a hate crime. And there was some interesting, uh, uh, community notes context of the UK police investigated the statement. We will no longer accept the rehousing of illegal immigrants as a hate crime. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically people saying that they're no longer going to house illegals is, is considered a hate crime by the police. Mm. It is interesting. The Americanization of the dialogue in Ireland, right? With Irish lives matter, for example, mm. and then the corresponding, you know, obviously fake news from of TikTok um, on that being a racist term. Interesting. Yeah. Especially in a, in a, in a, especially in Ireland, <laughs> which, well, okay. So I get what you might say. It's like a distraction in America to say, you know, you're trying to pull the distraction away from black people and put it onto white people by doing this. Like it's like a insecurity issue that the left is accused the right of. Mm-hmm. I don't buy that argument. I don't think that's their motive. I think it's uh, subscribing a false motive, but I could see the point. But in Ireland, of course, the government should be concerned about Irish lives. Right. Well, you would think, hopefully. <laughs> well, and additionally, people should be able to say, I don't want to house people anymore. I, right? I, d- I did for free see on my tax dollars, right? Yeah. It's different if this was all voluntary, but this is using your tax dollars to house. Yeah, the, the mechanism should be a private charitable organization, right? At I best, do. you know, and then there, there are other concerns, right? I mean, it, it, do they, are they liable if that person then commits a crime? Well, and what are the ramifications if they do? Right. Obviously, this uh, guy who committed this knife attack got a, an Irish passport afterwards or, or prior to, excuse me, prior to this latest attack, but after the prior knife attack. Well, and I will up. say, like, I spent a bunch of time on Irish Twitter just, like, scom- like combing through things. And I remember seeing a video of, I, I think it's like, it'd be like the American equivalent of the Attorney General of Ireland, um, whatever that's called, is like Ministry of whatever, um, where he came out saying that uh in this moment uh the irish citizenry is not caring enough about the jews in israel any uh, enough so like when we're talking about like the irish lives matter thing i think that's that's kind of interesting (laughs) of like the obfuscation and trying to like pivot of being like you know like there's a lot of things going on over in the middle east right now you know (laughs) wow i mean but just talk about like detached from reality though right like the reality of what's going on in your own country again like people are rising up protesting saying you're not worried enough about us at home and they're like yeah but meanwhile have you seen that there's a war in the middle east though <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like what <laughs> and, 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 and the irish citizens just don't care enough about it right like, and almost all of the so national selfish. news and part of the context of that almost all the national news about ireland prior to this was about how out of sync ireland is with the rest of europe because overwhelmingly ireland's on the side of the palestinians mm-hmm. interesting well think about it they see it as a colonial power they were a colonial and colonially dominated by the British for a very long time. And that's deeply embedded within the Irish culture, right? Like, like remember the context of like all the Irish bombings that were going on, just like, Oh yeah. The IRA, like just how, how, when when was that? That was 1990s. Yeah. It was like 30 years ago. So, yeah, I mean, it it was, I actually got to see uh, some of the lead kind of negotiators on this actually came to Montana State University when I was going to college there. It was really interesting discussion about getting IRA who were declared by the British government as terrorists into a room to get to peace. That's how we brought about peace. Yeah. Right. It wasn't, I don't negotiate with terrorists that brought about peace. It wasn't, uh, you know, we have to destroy X person, X group because they attacked us or whatever. It was coming to the table and finding the grounds for peace and negotiating. 
that it's, brought about the modern day Ireland that we have today, the Celtic tiger, all this stuff all happened. It started out with that. Yeah. Slight aside, but it does appear that uh, there are negotiations going on between Ukraine and Russia right now, aren't there? There's a lot of, there's, well, interesting when Joe Scarborough before Thanksgiving came out and said, I think, you know, this war isn't winnable, believe it or not now. And we should probably work for peace a year, a year afterwards, a year after everyone else was calling for it on, on the sensible realism and a strange, right? These guys are finally coming to the table now to call for it. Yeah. Although I haven't seen any reports that there's actual formal negotiations. I saw a, I think I might've seen a, a headline on zero hedge about it. Ew. I'll see if I can track it down for you. Yeah, this morning was a little crazy for me, so I haven't, I haven't got to check the news yet. That's all right. You've done a great job, and we, we appreciate you for all the work you put into the editorial schedule. Both of you guys, you guys are killing it. If you are a small business owner looking for exponential growth, you have to connect with Adam Thune at Intellectual Patriots. He will revolutionize your business game and help you get to the next level. Adam can streamline your business practices and advertising strategies to improve your bottom line. His expertise in data engineering means he can build you the systems you need to collect and analyze market data. His mission is to provide you with invaluable insights to fuel your success. From grant writing and business proposals to digital systems integrations, even AI management, Intellectual Patriots is a one-stop shop for cutting-edge solutions. Don't wait another second. Visit intelpatriots.com to learn more. That's I-N-T-E-L patriots.com. So the well, going back to the American story. So we had this interesting attack that happened. Attack isn't even the right word, but it was immediately framed as one uh, right, right before Thanksgiving, where uh, a husband and a wife were killed in a car explosion at the U.S. Canadian border. And uh, the, okay, so basically what happened is Kurt Villani and his wife Monica uh, quote a kind and hardworking couple who are closely tied to the Grand Island community and their and their family hardware business. Kurt's father started nearly 40 years ago. Their friend said Friday um, died in this car crash where it was like big ball of fire. There's immediately rumors about explosives. Uh, There's all these people saying, you know, getting online and basically saying this must be a terror attack. At, at one moment, uh, Fox News basically said they hadn't ruled it out. And so everyone reported this was a terror attack. Um the the FBI after you know the initial panic basically found no connection to that before they actually figured out who it was and it wasn't you know a, a, a Muslim couple it was you know two white Americans so yeah um, the worst example of this is our good friend of the show Laura Loomer <laughs> could you just show it please <laughs> yeah one second I'm just all right if you're on YouTube things. or checking us out on video we got we got Laura Loomer's Twitter saying breaking confirmed Islamic terrorist attack near Canada border at Rainbow Bridge Niagara Falls shut the border down so this is this is that same thing it's like the use of far right by the Irish media yeah. right which is like I'm going to use trigger words to get eyes on it and, and even worse though to me is the first word in her tweet confirmed 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 yeah. like what yeah this happened maybe i don't know what minutes or hours prior to her uh <laughs> posting this interesting Commu no way. community notes did correct her on this eventually too, yes yeah. yeah when i first when i first highlighted it for you guys it wasn't up there yet this is a great example for anyone watching that might be inclined to jump on things that are just happening don't be like laura loomer <laughs> don't, be like don't make yourself look like an idiot when you say something is a thing and it's not actually a thing yeah uh and and to, and to make sure ever, no one can ever blame us for being the Vivek fan club. Vivek did the same thing. <laughs> yeah, he did. Um, he came out basically like, oh, I'll go. Chris Christie said that I wasn't serious. You know, my concerns about the Northern border were unwarranted. This shows I was right. And I was like, uh, oh, way too soon, buddy. Come on. Yeah. Screwed up. I'm still going to make you guys merch though. So <laughs> what is the, it? The Vivek fan club. <laughs> 
uh, just with our two heads, you know, like the vague van club. Yes, <laughs> just the two of you. He's still the best. <laughs> He's still the best candidate. He's still the best right? candidate. <laughs> so the, what, why are we bringing this up here? Well, this is a good example of like the counter example, right? Where you, your source of information you got to be careful about. Laura Loomer is trying to create a story, even if there's no story there. You know, Vivek, where he messed up was he tried to create a story where there wasn't a story. He wasn't following the data. He wasn't being a good reporter in the case of Laura, uh, Laura Loomer's point of view. Advocate, I don't know how you really think about her. Um, expose person, I guess. Um, you know, they started with the ends in mind and then look for the data to get their conclusion and then work backwards from there. Right. Yeah. yeah. Cause in reality, this guy was actually just like a white ginger dude. Wasn't he? <laughs> if I remember seeing, he was that. not a member of the ginger community. How dare you? I, 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 think I remember, right. I, he looked more like Joe than he did. Like an Islamic was he terrorist day drinking. Wait a minute. Hold on. Well, hold on. <laughs> Hold on. It's a pretty easy for someone to look, look more like me than an Islamic terrorist if they're just any Caucasian nationality at all. Some ginger. To drag the good ginger name through oh, the mud man. like that, it I can't just, Well, we, we, we drag the bald community down all the time with Dave, so I feel like we got to throw it at the ginger sometimes. <laughs> well, too, look, you know? it's up to him to defend himself. I'm, put, I'm putting my fist I'll down. Take all the heat. I'll, I'll take all the heat <laughs> for Canadians, too. You know, like I got the Canadian blood in me. No, look, there's only like 2% of us in the world, all right? We are one of the most marginalized groups on the globe <laughs> overrepresented in ireland this. though right um yeah i mean actually it, in my experience in ireland earlier this year i did not find like an overwhelming number of of redheads in the hmm. country maybe more per capita but i feel like every actual irish person i've met has always has just had black hair like yeah. they look more like me than they do to you, you. know I, I believe that the red the influence of red hair actually came from um like norse like viking in invaders yeah. that kind of came down through scotland and ireland yeah, yeah. many many, many years ago that exists there yeah, yeah. Sure, so, yeah. so I'm, I'm more viking than anything else just just so you know <laughs> so on. the Same. far right boogeyman uh narrative is also what happened here right so they were using don lemon like talking points to ostracize their own base away from now mental models here that i want to point out some lessons to learn because i think that this is the, like a really great example is there's a media manipulation technique to make the reaction of the story, the actual story, rather than the underlying cause, right? So if they say riots in Ireland, but they never say why, mm. flag, you're being manipulated, mm. right? Even worse, when, the, when, it, when it outright lies to the public and the narrative, to avoid a narrative they think is toxic, what they do is they say, is they cover that up, right? So they won't cover you know, someone being shot if they're in like America, for example, if it's a white guy getting shot by a black police officer, it isn't covered on the same degree because it doesn't follow a groove in the American mind that really can get a lot of clicks, right? Where the opposite will get a lot of clicks. So there's a financial incentive. There's also a narrative incentive, right? If you're Don Lemon and you want to create the, I don't know why I'm beating up on him so much today, but if you want to create- yeah, He lost his job like a year ago. I know, just beating him up, man. <laughs> Punching up at Don Lemon. Wherever you are, Don, coming for you. Should have started a podcast. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll have you on, buddy. <laughs> this is your formal invitation, Don Lemon. Come on and defend yourself. But if you want to create a narrative, what's that? Him and Cuomo. Oh, uh, former, uh, former. Uh, sorry to keep interrupting you, Dave, but the the former governor Cuomo, uh, he does have one. Like, <laughs> and the other guy was we saw we had him on Andrew. as a clip. Yeah, right. Him and Vivek. Were Chris, on that clip. Yeah. yeah, Chris. Anyways, so I forgot what I was going to say. Oh yeah, if we're trying to create a na narrative that. There, that the police are like targeting black people like in a genocide if that's your point of view about the problems in policing you're going to emphasize one story over the other 
that's the story in America. Well, this is this the inverse story for Ireland here. So uh, mal versus misinformation is huge across this. And like knowing your knowing the distinction here is really important. Can we recover that distinction for everyone? Right. So they were categorizing it as misinformation for censorship purposes, right? All the legislation in, in Ireland for censorship is supposed to be about misinformation. What they're inducing is the malinformation component, which is saying the wrong thing, right? Having the wrong ideas about the information. That's malinformation. It's all a bunch gotcha. of jargon. Mal, mal <laughs> is about having the wrong opinion of what happened. Misinformation is intentionally reporting something that is incorrect. Right. And the reason why I bring this around is because of this exchange that we have uh, that that's constant in the uh, in the dialogue. And this is from uh, Kyle. This video is from the same debate that you had up earlier, but it's that guy responding. And I think oh. it's a really great point uh, from the uh, point of view in distinguishing between when does journalism have a responsibility to give all the important information because you're not responsible for creating public opinion. You're supposed to, you know, be reporting on what happened. They seem to be listening to whipping up fears, he says after three schoolchildren were stabbed on the streets by somebody who frankly should not have been in this country. Should not have, let me, let me finish the point. An Irish citizen, yes, but somebody who uh, was reported by John Mooney in the Sunday Times came here in the year 2000, was issued with a deportation officer. And uh, appealed uh, that and appealed it successfully and was made an Irish citizen. And according to the Sunday Independent has never worked a day in his life. And it's not the first incident, it's not the first incident. Let me finish this point. Ryan Casey, the boyfriend of Ashley Murphy, asked a very reasonable question in court in his victim impact statement. When he said, okay. how would somebody... Like, are you Let's just talk. Let, I, I, no, no, because no, you didn't cover it when it happened, so don't cut it off now. What we, he said We was, did, actually. What we he, did, said, what he said was, I just want to go back, because said, your oh, website, John McGurk, has received a lot of criticism this for weekend the news. for choosing we to highlight clear. the nationality of the suspect in this night attack at a moment in time when there were hostilities in the, in the, in the uh, city centre. I'm wondering, in what way did you feel his nationality had a bearing on this incident? It was entirely relevant because, as subsequent facts have shown, he was somebody who came here, was granted, was, was given citizenship after being issued with a deportation order, and has never, according to Sunday Independent, worked a day in his life. It is relevant because of what happened with Joseph Puska, what happened in Sligo with Yusuf Polanyi. It is further relevant, I would say. I mean, it's fascinating that I'm being asked this question because no one is saying the story was untrue. Essentially, the story... No, I'm not, essentially, I never, I'm not, didn't say it's untrue. I asked you what its relevance yeah, was. It's, it's essentially, the position now seems to have gone from, you know, we're worried about misinformation and disinformation to all of a sudden you can no longer report true information or you're whipping up fear. And so I, I would question, your fellow journalists, we're, we're discussing journalism, I would question you, what power do you have Kira, or any journalists have to decide what fact the public should or should not know. Well said. That was perfectly well said. Quite true. What power do you have to decide for the public what they should or should not know? Like that, as editorializing, I'm always reminded, if you read Seymour Hersh's uh, biography, one of the things he says is, uh, Americans would be far more educated about all things happening if editors weren't a thing. Right? Because editorializing is the problem, is, is his case, right? And this is one of the great reasons why Substack and the internet and all these things are there because there's no editorializing between you, the reporter, or you, the analyzer of what's going on, and the public. There's no intermediary, and that's, the, that's part of the beauty. Um, and then lastly, the last mental model, selective curiosity, right? And this might be a new one for me, selective curiosity. So when crime exists, there's a deep need to understand the motive to understand the crime. Some cases, we really care about that. In other cases, we don't. So take the Black Lives Matter protests, which is a result of a black man being killed by a police officer. He was high on 
some stimulants at the time and whether or not his heart failure was directly due to the position he was in, which for me, from a point of view as someone who does, you know, grappling martial arts, I could understand that it would be painful, but not deadly. Uh, additionally, that it is, it, he was on his neck for a very long time, right? So a lot of people had a lot of disturbing stuff about that. That said, there was this huge reaction to a singular incident that was tremendously damaging for many cities across America. And the res- overwhelming response by most of the members of the media were, what are the motives that would cause people? What are the underlying things that would cause people to go rob the store or to burn down this, this bar or to do the things that they were doing in these individual circumstances that resulted in all the, in the summer of 2020, one of the most violent summers we've had in decades. Mostly peaceful though. <laughs> summer of love. <laughs> and, and, were, did, they, did they ask that question at all when it come to Ireland? It was, no, I can't believe the far right has risen up in Ireland and they're going to overthrow the government any day now. And it was like a January 6th-like parallel when it was 32 arrests compared to an entire summer of destruction across America when, when everyone was rightfully saying, what are, and then this is my point, I think we should be curious in every case. I'm not saying they shouldn't be curious in the black Americans case. I think, yeah, that's curiosity is warranted. I think sometimes it's manipulated. I think sometimes it has all kinds of problems. But in the Irish case, it's also equally valid to question, why do people feel this way? Absolutely. I mean, understanding motive is, is I mean, a part of understanding what gets people to do anything in life, mm-hmm. not just commit crime. Right. And, and knowing, you know, why they feel, how they feel should be the number one objective of the leaders of a country. Because if you are not doing the things that you should be doing and people feel, you know, angry about the way their country is going, that should be your guiding principle right or at least maybe in a more populist paradigm that would be the guiding principle right so like and to make it absolutely clear here the left is completely uninterested in the identity and the of the perp and the motive for the rioters right well the right is uninterested in the motive of the perp and is mostly interested in the unfairness of the immigration system that would put him in the country in the first place right that is the way this is bifurcated, mm-hmm. these are false choices. You don't have to be these two things. This is, of course, both can be important components. And, you know, a, a good journalist wouldn't be doing that sort of thing where they're engaging on this is the right way to think about it. They'd be giving the information to the public and allowing them to decide, um, at, at least in the terms of I'm not going to tell you facts because I'm worried about what you might do with those facts. All right. So, um, Lastly, on this topic, we have the online censorship law. Uh, do you want to introduce kind of like this this video first to kind of frame it up? Uh, yeah. So you have a Green Party Senate, um, Pauline O'Reilly, um, where she's effectively introducing this right here. So let's just uh, launch the video and then we can go into it. This is her justification for the online censorship mm-hmm. bill. Yeah. When you think about it, all law, all legislation is about the restriction of freedom. That's exactly what we're doing here, is we are restricting freedom, but we're doing it for the common good. You will see throughout our constitution, yes, you have rights, but they are restricted for the common good. Everything needs to be balanced. And if your views on other people's identities go to make their lives unsafe, insecure, and cause them such deep discomfort, that they cannot live in peace, then I believe that it is our job as legislators to restrict those freedoms for the common good. The common good. Play the sound. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's there's an interesting dynamic there, at least 
on paper kind of in the difference of the view of rights and the relationship between individuals and their government uh kind of in the european mindset versus the american mindset you know like there's an interesting bifurcation that does exist there at least on paper it doesn't really play out that way but you know like of the government kind of like grants you the rights and then we can kind of take things away when we feel like it's necessary for the common good where in the american mindset it's supposed to be no we give certain you know rights and responsibilities to the government but we have these like inherent rights that are god-given and it's just interesting to kind of lay out that uh distinction what's interesting is in any american university if you're learning the basics of political science you're probably going to learn her point of view right now yeah. In the United States. Yes. Wow. Yes. Because you're going to learn ultimately it's the enforcement of rights that matter. Individuals can't enforce against the government because they have nukes. Therefore, rights come from government. Mm-hmm. Mm. So it's all about whoever has the power. It's a might makes right. It's, it's, makes a, right. it's a postmodernist, you know, breakdown of the same question. Ugh. Right. So this bill would give the government more power to prosecute individuals who, quote, post reckless comments or memes that, quote, incite violence or hatred against a person or a group of persons. That's what the bill does. And what she's saying is like, yeah, you got to write free speech, but it might incite violence or hatred. It might give someone the wrong views. Now, let me ask you something. Do you suppose all the people who are saying that the rioters are, quote, far right and equating them with Nazis are inspiring hatred against right wingers? Mm, Interesting thought. Should the government get in the middle of that? Very interesting thought. It's, it's so frustrating to me because it's obviously selective. It's obviously yeah, selective, right? It's going absolutely. to be selectively enforced. Well, I mean, I, I see a lot of parallels between America and, and Ireland in this sense where, and I, I do wonder, like, were these riots 100% genuine? Or was there some element of manufacturing going on and, and sort of like creating a, the air of, of violence so that they could point to it and say, look, there there are bad people. We need to institute these laws to restrict them. You think like an agent provocateur? Yeah, sort of exactly. This is often the problem of like unfocused rage, right? Where it just kind of bleeds out and you have these massive things and then you can point to it and it can be co-opted and it can be reframed as the narrative mm. instead of having like very focused policy prescriptions of like, this is what we got to target. And I think like a lot of the people that are really trying to, who seem to be trying to change Ireland and a lot of these European countries, like they're able to just point at this, like, see, look at the reckless rubes and they're kind of destroying their own country. They're, you know, they're, they're lashing out and they're the ones introducing you know, the policy prescriptions like this woman right here is laying out like, well, this is what we got to do, put it into law. And, you know, it's, it's be careful with, uh, with, uh, with, uh, what, what is the word? What did I just say? Like, like the rage, like be careful with the uh, unfocused, unfocused, unfocused rage. Yeah. That's the word I'm looking for. It's, and it's one of those difficult things, a great parallel. And I keep on going back to this because it just works so well to kind of try to get this into the American ear is black lives matter. What was the policy prescription after black lives matter? nothing really like, in the police <laughs> it was like defund it got the police, so right? out of like it wasn't like hey maybe we should think about how we prosecute the drug war differently or like you know like what are the circumstances that added up to this the underlying causes of inequality and things like that because you know we talk about that but it became down to not something actionable not something anywhere within the overton window of acceptable like range of political discourse it turned out to should we have the police or not which is a situation where no one wins at all because no one gets a policy. The only people who get the policy that they win is the people who said, we still have police, right? Yeah. I mean, it was just, and the problem here is like this, the other analogy for this that I think maybe works is 9-11. 9-11 happens within weeks. We got the Patriot Act. Yeah. The Patriot Act wasn't written 
in those weeks, guys. No, right. no it <laughs> I was, was being know. tried to be introduced for years prior to that. Oh, was it really? Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah like, it was just kind of like waiting in the wings. Like yeah. m- most legislation really is like that. It's not just like written on the spot when something happens. It's like, oh, now's the good time to put that in. So, <laughs> yeah. so you're saying it's not the craziest idea to think that this bill was written and they were just kind of waiting for an event that they could use as the, as the you know, catalyst to introduce it and say, look, now we have a reason we have to do this. Right. And th- this is a, I don't know if it exists on the European stage. I'm just not an expert in that area, but in America, what I can tell you is that there's a tremendous amount of legislation. That's just, I mean, every, every session of Congress in the federal Congress, there's a couple thousand bills that actually are heard on committees, maybe a couple hundreds in the hundreds. Uh, and there's literally tens of thousands of bills like that are just sitting there to be heard. Uh, I'll give you a small state example, Montana. Maybe here's, you know, 3,000 bills. There are tens of thousands of bills that are written every session. Wow. Yeah. So just in in concept or fully written down or like actually make it through the drafting, you know, components of the, uh, of the process. Um, they're hearing thousands of bills in 90 days, right? So in each case, a larger states is going to be even bigger numbers, right? Cause they have bigger staffs, more people. Um, so, a lot of time there's just all these ideas existing. And so when the, when an issue happens, that's going to create like the political momentum to take advantage of it, they look out and they find, okay, what are the ideas in the room? They grab them, they throw them together in a bill and they roll it out. You could do that within a day. Yeah. Clearly they were excited to take advantage of this opportunity. Well, because of Brexit too. We know yeah, this. Sure. Yeah. So Schellenberger story, CTIL. Uh, do we want to break it down? Kind of what happened? Schellenberger dropped yeah. this new article. He's got a sub stack. Uh, highly recommend people subscribe to a sub stack. It's a very affordable one. Maybe someday they'll subscribe to another sub stack. Hint, hint. Big old hint right <laughs> by the way, by the way, before we, st- before we go into it, I love the comparison of Schellenberger to like a rapper, like dropping this hot new track. Yeah. Cause he's just like dropping banger after banger. <laughs> yeah. He's, First Twitter files. Now he's got this. It's like, man, he is, he's a massive. Sh- uh, I'm a fan. Like he, he kind of just broke onto the scene, you know, going on to like Rogan a couple years back. And he's just been, he's been at the forefront of the homeless stuff in California, Twitter files. And now he's like kind of the censorship industrial complex guy. And it's, mm-hmm. It's very impressive. Even it more is. so than Taibi, right? Who was like the Twitter files guy. Schellenberger's kind of taken over a big part of that, yeah. of that work. Well, uh, and it's, it's worth mentioning too, is that Schellenberger is a guy that comes from the left and he was mm-hmm. like a strong leftist activist. He worked for George Soros at one point, and then he's become disaffected by the left and is kind of att- attacking all of, you know, essentially all the things that we kind of hate about government. He's kind of attacking all those from a left wing side. And it's, it's really nice to have that full perspective, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And with, and with no intermediary between him and his audience, that's mm-hmm. the best thing about it. And mm-hmm. you can go out and you can support him directly and help him, you know, get paid to do what he does. And he's doing so well, which is in this case, releasing a whistleblower trove of documents that, you know, for the public, um, showing that the, the kind of like the birth of what he calls the censorship industrial complex it fundamentally as a reaction to Brexit, quick reminder on what Brexit is. Brexit was an effort uh, by the UK Independence Party. Did I get that wrong? UKIP. Yeah. UK yeah, Independence Party. Yeah. Party. Uh, as well as other kind of center-right uh, factions within the UK to uh, remove uh, Britain from the European Union. Um, which did succeed. Which correct? succeeded. Right. Which surprised everyone. And which was kind of a precursor to and, and synergistic internationally with the Trump phenomenon in 2016. So when Brexit happened, a lot of right-wingers went like, whoa, how did that happen, right? Because 
the EU was seen as kind of like the final stage of globalization for Europe. And then all of a sudden, balkanization was happening in their midst, right? Uh, and the question was always, is this a one-off? Is this a unique situation? Or is this going to happen in more areas, et cetera, right? Uh, and then the Trump election happened, right? And so there, there's this bubbling up phenomena that is the internet. And what's happened is around that time is a bunch of people who are all connected with the military industrial complex. Uh, we're talking about the uh, Department of Homeland Security. Uh, what are some of the other ones, uh, Kyle? Who am I forgetting? NSA. NSA. Yeah, FBI. A whole bunch of other ones. As Tons well of as, NGOs. Yeah. Yeah. The NGOs is an interesting one here because very specifically, these are NGOs created by the Department of Homeland Security. Hold on. What does NGO stand for? Non-governmental. An NGO created by a government. Well, you remember, like I, I, I broke this down several several months ago on the podcast of how the censorship apparatus kind of moves, and it starts with like DARPA, CIA uh, gets funded into these grants for NGOs that then put out the um, research needs at universities, where they're essentially training like censorship, uh, like censorship people for research purposes and then those research purposes come to to the social media companies and be like hey we did all these research here's what's going on you should maybe look at this and then there's kind of a wink and a nod that comes in from like the fbi through something like the twitter files right like so it it's like a very convoluted chain that exists here right and just this just this just shows that i was right about that it's right? basically just the fbi outsourcing its own work or any yeah. government well, agency that's actually just... something that was in the files is so like uh, you know, they do a bunch of censorship abroad that exists, but then they're in the uh, whistleblower statements. It says like, it's a little bit more difficult here because there's like first, first, uh, first amendment protections here. So we kind of got to right. go and be a little loosey goosey and, and hire out third parties to do things. And it straight up said that in the whistleblower documents. Right. Right? So, and if, just listen to the names of the NGOs, the election integrity partnership sketch, EIP, right? yeah. which then turned into the virality, the virality, virality project right things going viral on the internet um they partnered with the stanford isio organization and other private actors to look legit right so it's this constellation of ngos one created by and constantly evolved from the department of homeland security guys it should be it could be completely illegal for the government to create an ngo because essentially, what I mean, that does, does that allow no them to obfuscate the, what the behaviors that are going on, the activities? Exactly, because they, they're not accountable to the American people. Right. So uh, let me give you an example of where this is happening right now, and everyone knows about it, and there's no one doing anything about. It. After the Snowden revelations, a bunch of there was some reforms that happened to basically trying to end mass surveillance or at least curtail it substantially to suspected individuals versus versus like gathering all the information. What happened was those reforms, some of those reforms happened, and now it is known and has been reported repeatedly by Cato, Reason, and you know the people most interested in privacy, net choice, folks like that, that the NSA and the FBI and the CIA and all these three-level groups are now purchasing data from private actors rather than just collecting it themselves hmm. and saying, oh, well, I'm purchasing it. It's just, it's just like office supplies. And, and you know, of course, the government can buy office supplies, right? Mm-hmm. As wow. if your personal information. Yeah, just third-party data brokers. So now the NSA can say, oh, no, we're not collecting, you know, your data. We're, we're not actually collecting it. I mean, we it. have it, but, like, we're just buying it from someone else who's collecting. Yeah, yeah they're yeah. not the ones doing the collecting, right? 
Fucking Therefore, assholes. it's okay. Um, <laughs> well, and it's Take it easy, Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> Go fuck yourself, NSA. <laughs> oh, I, I do have that queued up, actually. <laughs> um, another good sound like yeah, button. Right? Yeah, we actually need that. We need the Elon. Go fuck Buy yourself. Buy us a, 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 one of those sound things. Look, if, well, if you deck. guys can help us get, what is it, like 200 bucks? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, we should just do like a GoFundMe or we didn't actually, I don't think we actually said what the CTIL is. So oh. the CTIL is, it's called the cyber threat intelligence league, which is a group of, uh, us and UK military and intelligence contractors, um, which started this project voluntarily. Like it's like a bunch of people that just like our agents for the CIA and our agents for the NSA and our agents for like that all kind of came together voluntarily. Our powers combined. Yeah. But it's like, they just collected this network together. And part of the goal of this is to bring all this stuff forward so that they could eventually integrate it into the government and get all the military contracts. Right. So it's like a, it's like a, it's a money scheme. <laughs> Essentially. It makes total sense. It's to like, me. we have all this research. We need military contracts. Let's formalize this into the government. Right. right? First, we need a cool name. What are we going to call it? Mm. The Cyber Threat Intelligence League. Oh it's like God. very Justice League. Dude, right? It's like the Avengers coming forward. Right? There are pictures of all of them in capes. I can just, I can see it now. <laughs> the team picture. They're just like standing there looking all well, you gotta, DC comics. You got to paint the picture of their origin, which is also in the release documents, which is a whistleblower alleges that the CTI, CTI League was uh, formed by a former British intelligence analyst who was in the room at the Obama White House in 2017. This would be, have to be very early 2017 when she received the instructions to create a counter disinformation project to, quote, stop a repeat of 2016. Oh, so this and, was and direct. We're, we're talking that this is like we're talking like this is like January 2017. Yeah. Right? Oh. So it's, like, be. it's like before. It's like when Trump is Trump is is Trump elect is, is, is <laughs> when he's Trump is, elect. It's, it's when Trump, Trump is president elect. Right? It's We're the office of Trump now. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Trump won the Trump election. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Commander it's when he's Trump. president. <laughs> Commander <in> Trump. <laughs> um, yeah, and and part of this too is uh, so the whistleblower kind of laid out like what the targets were. So in the 2020 era in spring 2020, when COVID was happening, when the pandemic was going on, you have, uh, um, they wanted to target anti-lockdown messaging. So, uh, these are quotes here. Things like all jobs are essential was targeted. How dare uh, they say we, that? we won't stay home. Sounds Open racist. America now. How Hashtag they? free California. Horrifying. Uh, like these were things that were subject to attack and then they would put it in spreadsheets and would keep all the individuals saying these things and, and have all their bios there. On really? Spreadsheets. Yeah. Oh, I'm certainly on that list. Somewhere. Oh yeah, me too. Heck I mean, yeah. uh, this is the, this is the era when I got banned from everything. Right? That's interesting. This was like it proximate was, to that, yeah, that it was time like post 2020 or like post 2020 election it was like 2021 is when I started getting all my bannings and stuff starting to happen. And, but yours went further than just social media, right? Uh, yeah. Pay, PayPal, Airbnb, you know, like so it, Uber. <laughs> very peculiar that you would have been banned from all the things at once. It's as if there was some sort of, you know, collective communication. Yeah, mo- most going of my social media has right? happened the week of the 2020 election is when I got hit. Like it was literally on election night when I realized my Facebook was banned because I had somebody telling me, Hey, you should look at this Facebook post. And they sent me a link. And then I got this thing. This, this uh, account has been permanently suspended and there's like no way you can get it back. Like they, there was a message on there. I was like, what <laughs> on election night? Yeah. Yeah. But I think it probably happened prior to that. It's just, I never was on Facebook because they didn't want you spreading disinformation. Yeah to potentially yeah, so it was like influence whatever, voters. 
Yeah, are whatever. Too spicy. Just, just red hot radioactive memes. Well, they can't censor this. But podcast. I wasn't using Facebook as the crazy thing. But it's like <laughs> everything got hit, right? So yeah. like my Instagram, which is owned by Meta, right? Well, that has always been the question. Is um, a couple of things. One, uh, how come the Obama, the the oh, sorry, not the Obama, the Trump administration didn't put a stop to this, right? anti-censorship administration. Oh, all well, if you get created by the government and then turn into an NGO, how does the government, how does he stop? Mm, well, and fair. also rem- if he even knows about it, remember yeah. it has, it's come out like this is now confirmed now, right? Is that the Obama administration was spying on the Trump campaign, right? Oh, like is, that's now confirmed, right? Yes. So yeah, it's not just so. a story. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so like you also have those elements that exist there too, right? <laughs> so like we have the overarching like watchful eye of Sauron that is happening here during this time frame. Which is um, a very disturbing uh, banana republic sort of scenario, right? Where you have the same group of people who said the only reason Donald Trump won was because of Russian disinformation. Has the FBI, uh, you know, doing the Steele dossier. Has the, has the Obama administration spying on the Trump administration, then the, uh, the, the Trump campaign and then giving the information to the Hillary Clinton campaign. And then you have the very complicated, you know, story of a bunch of NGOs who are completely unaccountable to the American public, but created by, you know, aspects of the intelligence state who are trying to control social media dialogue. Right. This is a confluence of many things kind of coming together to try to create a system of coercion and control that's very difficult for people to see, except for if you're one of those people who are tweeting every day and getting suspended or getting black banned or what, what was it called? Shadow banned. Shadow banned. Like that. Yeah. Well, so in th- there's also they had a their offensive counter influence um, and this consisted of co-opting hashtags, diluting unfavored messaging, creation of sock puppet accounts. And also infiltrating invite only groups. So like there's a lot of like, you know, group chats and stuff that go on on places like Twitter. So it's like infiltrating those groups and trying to sway opinions and uh, dilute messaging. Right? Mm. Uh, and now they're trying to infiltrate podcast crews, right? Right, Bennett. as we're going through this i'm like this episode is going absolutely nowhere on youtube we're probably going to get like six views and it's going to be my mom and dad hi mom and dad be sure yeah we won't even post it this this is just going nowhere straight to rumble so (laughs) so that means we're counting on you to share it with people if you feel like it's worth sharing and also i'm curious for anybody listening right now uh or watching have you been shadow banned or censored or you know, had your account locked or anything like that. Has this happened to anyone except for Kyle so far? I, I don't, he's the only person I know. Oh, I know plenty of people that have had, had that happen. Really? Yeah. yeah Mostly just other DJs and yeah, there's a lot of that. Either. Well, there, there is an interesting thing to, right there of like the intro, infiltrating invite only groups. Like I have a joke and I just said this in the discord a few days ago of like, I assume everyone's a Intel asset until proven otherwise, yeah. but like it's part of that. It's part of that reasoning of like, you know, I'm heavily involved in the crypto space and I'm in a lot of group chats with a lot of different crypto people and people building things and stuff like that. And there's been a lot of, um, people that have died in the recent year or two um straight Prominent up straight up after founders and stuff yeah like straight up tweeted out that their their girlfriend's a spy and you know like that stuff and then they died afterward and get washed up on the shores of san juan you know mm-hmm. like that type of stuff mm-hmm. and so like that type of stuff is seems very real to me you know like that is a concerning thing so when you have this infiltrating invite only groups you're just kind of like be careful who you talk about talk with online right yeah like will knows? this Will all this have a chilling effect on on speech, on people's willingness to speak their true opinion on the internet? Well, I think this is why what Elon's doing at Twitter is so important, right? And why Nikki Haley's so dangerous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about that last week, I believe. With true, Liam, because right? she's she's pushing for everyone to be 
unanonymized on the internet. You should have a verified ID on the internet, which means just like, and, 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 you know, this is maybe a nuanced point, but they kind of already have a profile on everyone anyways. Even if you have a screen name, they, they can attach it to all sorts of different IDs on your cell phone or your various devices or your IP address. Like, you know, the, the pseudonym that you get to use on Twitter or wherever isn't really like a layer of protection so much as it is sort of like a symbolic understanding of like, at least we still have this ability. Yeah. I in mean, my view. And you, and it, and it just, what it does, each one of those steps increases the investment rate that you need to get to, to be truly anonymous, but you can still truly be truly anonymous on the internet. Yes. Right? Just, there's just that a would be an interesting uh, episode to do on like what it would actually take to be <laughs> in some way, generally private yeah. and anonymous on the internet. Yeah, We should get an expert on that. I know a guy. Oh, I'll, I'll have him in if he's if he's willing to uh, unanonymize himself. He'll, on bring a him in. He'll just put on an anonymous mask. I and love it. Talk I, to I, I, we've computer. got one. I know. I know <laughs> of a kind of like an influential figure on Twitter. I don't know him personally, but I wouldn't be surprised if we could get him. Who is like this guy, basically? So maybe we could reach out to him. I think if you want be interesting. If you want to hear or see an episode like that, go to our Discord. Talk to us in our Discord. Let us know what you want to see because we want to provide more content like that. Yeah. The IMF put out propaganda to explain to the plebs what inflation is. They didn't mention the money supply. I wonder why. The Biden administration bypassed 26 federal laws to build additional border wall in South Texas. Somehow they still managed to blame Republicans for this horribly racist act. A Pentagon official was charged by federal authorities with promoting and furthering an illegal dogfighting ring in Maryland. The Republican caucus did not appreciate the characterization. For all these stories and more, join the Discord. To let us know what we should cover in the next episode of Human Reaction. Just in relation to what we were saying, because we were saying like it's a pretty big deal what Elon's done with Twitter, right? Um, just... I think there is an interesting follow-up here. I found this compilation video of people who are basically saying F you to advertisers that are pulling out. And it's not just Elon. It's people like Dana White and Tucker Carlson are in this video, right? And because Elon kind of had a viral moment a couple days ago um, talking about the advertiser pullout, which I think does link into this type of thing right here where it's such a big deal what Elon's done where he is having to go through like lawfare and he is having to go through these massive boycotts and kind of like the nonsense that the ADL is pushing on him which we've talked about before so it's just like all because of things that he's tweeted or said yeah or, and it's like it's not like if he was just if he was just acting like mark zuckerberg and having and having everything just being similar to facebook he wouldn't be going through all this stuff right, right. <laughs> like right. i think it's very clear and important yeah. to note that um, like a guy like elon in his position of wealth power and influence could take an easy route and just start a, a company and make money and, could just and keep take making cars the path right. of least resistance and not cause a lot of commotion but he is and that's really interesting to me yeah Curious so here, here's that. a compilation video of uh of people talking about being blackmailed for money kind of and one of our big sponsors called and said take that down you know what i said oh fuck yourself this is dana white yeah mm-hmm. well, fuck you on theo von don't ever fucking call me and tell me who to vote for yeah and if your recourse is you're a bad person for not believing me fuck you that's my response. Fuck you. Blackmailing with money? Go fuck yourself. Oh, fuck yourself. Is that clear? Is that uh, clear? Is. Sure, this is a family show. How could you? Yeah, we should probably put a disclaimer on this one. Not for the children. Don't listen to this in the car. But there's an interesting dynamic of like, you know, Tucker Carlson, Dana White, um, Elon Musk, very influential figures, very rich figures. The radical right. The radical right. <laughs> well, it's, it's meant to be like, it's, well, it's a tactic, right? There's mm-hmm. a there's a divestment tactic where what you say is we're going to go after not 
the platform, but the advertisers of the platform for doing wrong thing or having the wrong policy or whatever. And it's and it's a legitimate um, it's a legitimate tactic, right? It's a legitimate tactic to say, hey, I'm going to try to use my speech to try to damage your reputation in this way because I feel like you're doing something wrong. Um, I think it's not as good of a tactic as, for example, like actual argumentation and, you know, freedom of speech that way. Um, but it's not like illegal. It's just if you do a lot of that and there's only one side has ever heard on that, what you're going to get is a mono narrative, which damages free speech overall. Right. Yeah. So if you only have one side that's able to say, hey, especially in willing to say, not just, hey, this, I disagree with this, but rather I disagree with this and I think it should be, ta- it shouldn't be allowed. And I'm going to try to damage your reputation for saying things or doing things. That's a degenerative game that ends in tyranny in my mind. Yeah. Uh, and what I would prefer is, is while it's, uh, of course, you know, a state of freedom that people can exercise to use their freedom of speech in that way, it is irresponsible uh, and isn't a good example of responsibility paired with a right. Yeah. The ideal is I talk to you about on the best terms and the most motivated by the good terms about the topic at hand. Uh, and then rather than trying to pull sponsors or call you a racist, we come to like a common agreement in good faith. That is what a social order is built on. You know, yeah. not, 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 not trying to get you fired from your job or trying to get advertisers yanked from your website or whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I would just like to note uh, that we don't really have advertisers to be beholden to. So if you would like to blackmail us with money, <laughs> our, our phone's open for 2024. So if you Thanks, want to Adam, advertise on our loan advertiser, HR, along with Adam Thune of intellectual Patriots, uh, go ahead and give us a shout. We would love to be blackmailed by you. <laughs> and and Adam goes crazy in the discord. <laughs> yes, he does. He is probably the biggest contributor of, of anyone, honestly. Thanks, Adam. I love Adam. <laughs> All right. So do we want to talk about uh, the Dave Smith, William F. Buffkley thing? I, yeah, I find this to be a very interesting thing. I've mentioned this on the podcast before, my disdain for William F. Buckley, and it was just interesting to hear um, uh, Dave Smith, who we covered in that Laura Loomer debate, if people don't know him, he has a, he has a podcast, Part of the Problem. Um, he just interviewed Tucker Carlson a few days ago. Very failed podcaster. Dave very Smith. failed podcaster. <laughs> failed comedian as well. <laughs> <laughs> failed comedian. Very failed comedian. That's a that's a joke for his fans. It's a, it's a Michael Malice thing. But um, uh for those of you, should maybe give a little bit of context for uh, who William F. Buckley is. Founder Dave? of National Review, um, major contributor to the fusionist idea of the American right. So when you think of the coalition of social conservatives, um, kind of the mixture of Southern, you know, Democrats with Northern Republicans um, that made up the earlier parts of the 20th century. Uh, the, on certain issues and not other issues, uh, the kind of coalition of libertarians on domestic issues with a very aggressive foreign policy that is the Republican Party brand to this day. William F. Buckley is the OG of that. He's the original gangster of that whole thing. Now, we'll get into some of the downsides to him, but like the best way to think about him is like he was a major consensus builder of what it of the brand of conservatism that distinguishes American conservatism in the post-war period from Europe and the pre-war period of conservatives. Well, and that's the important thing is the post-war period, right? And what's that post-war? What that suggests? World War II. Yeah, Correct. and and going into the Cold War era, mm-hmm. like, and what that suggests is there was a time where the right was different, 
So the right changed at this time period. And the reason why I have such disdain for uh, for Buckley is that he he drastically changed what it meant to be a right winger or, or a conservative. Like he changed kind of the definition of it. And people don't really understand that history that exists there. What was it prior to that? Right wing used to be very anti-interventionist hmm. <laughs> prior to this time period. Interesting. And there's... Um, Murray Rothbard has a book called the betrayal of the American right, where he kind of outlines his problems with Buckley and, and a lot of right wing figures at this time period and why he, he kind of jumped shift and started working with the left a bunch. Mm. Um, I think it's very worth the read, but, um, there's also Buckley was a CIA guy and there's a lot of interesting <laughs> developments that exist there of like funding and things like that with national review. And Imagine those that. are all worth kind of digging into and understanding as well. Is this, um, is this the genesis of the term neoconservative, you know, neo being new. So, so, so somebody else that we talk about on here a lot is James Burnham who co-founded national review with him. And he's kind of like in the background, everybody looks at Bill Buckley, but James Burnham, um, he is considered the father of neoconservatism and he was Buckley's mentor, both CIA guys. Right. Gotcha. Um, so this is the origins of neoconservatism, which stems out of, uh, out of Trotsky. It's actually like, like former, uh, communists that came in and were very anti Soviet union and be, and kind of overtook the right wing America ideology, and that's where neoconservatism seeps in. Right? Interesting. So uh, we might want to listen, get the listener up on why we're talking about William F. Buckley all of a sudden. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. yes, well, he died in two thousand eight. So just so you yes, know, he's but never... it's important important historical figure, and it's just it was interesting for. Uh, um, Dave went, Smith and Tucker Carlson. It went very viral. Like the blaze was talking about it and all that kind of stuff. Megan like, McCain yeah. was tweeting at Liam, <laughs> our boy Liam from last week. <laughs> yeah. Megan McCain being daughter of, of John McCain, Senator John who's like yeah. neoconservative. Right. Yeah. And it's a very big, uh, she's like member of the view and a very on, big online follower. Yeah. So, so yeah, so here is just a very quick clip and just kind of shows where Tucker Carlson is on this. Like, like I view Bill Buckley as one of like the great villains of the 20th century. I think he I ruined, I couldn't yes. agree more. <laughs> yes, but, but he was a clearly very also CIA, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> very quick clip that Liam snagged in 14 seconds. And it went super viral. So good great job, Liam, as usual. We all know Liam's the best. Uh, but he um the question is like I'm very curious about Tucker's comments about Bill Buckley. Like where why is he agree and how does he agree? That's a very interesting one because you know, of course, uh, Megan McCain came out and basically said, well, did you know that uh, he named his son Buckley? And, you know, this is like obviously showing that some kind of act on uh, on uh, Tucker's, Tucker's case. Uh, but it turned out that it was actually named after his brother, Tucker Carlson's brother. That's what he named his son after. So but like, his brother was named after him, though. Yeah. I'm yeah. Just, well, that just means his dad was a fan of Bill Buckley. And like, like a lot of conservatives are. And even if it was true, it demonstrates the evolution, right? I mean, yeah. Why the guy is such an important figure is because he had one of the number one shows on cable television, got fired for having too much of a populist opinion. What I mean by populist opinion in this case isn't is is that he was he was too skeptical of the media elite in America and got fired for it, and then went to Twitter and became the biggest show in the world. Yeah. Well, it's also interesting that political evolution of Tucker Carlson was talked about on this podcast. Um, very, very worth listening to um, where he was saying that, you know, he was 
a, a TV personality, uh, like in the news at the time of the Iraq war. And he was parroting everything else that everybody was parroting. And then he went and covered it in Iraq and went to Iraq and saw it. And then he came back and this is an, it's kind of going in with your mental model of like the strange, uh, lack of curiosity that people have. He came back and was talking about it with all his like friends in the media and stuff. And they all seems like surprisingly uncurious about what he was talking about and and like he like lost friends over it of like he changed his mind about the iraq war after going to iraq right yeah um and that 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 shows uh i think a high degree of like intellectual honesty of being able to like grapple with understanding that you've had an opinion that you now uh realize was maybe misguided given new information mm -hmm. i thought it was really really interesting and one of my favorite parts actually from that interview which i think is great and everybody should go check that out. Watch, watch uh, Dave Smith's interview with Tucker Carlson was where they get to talking about how the ABC reporter who had the Epstein story, like all queued up with like all the information mm -hmm. tried to get it pushed through on ABC for years and then ended up going um, basically the story got spiked by editorial. Ultimately she ended up losing her job. She ended up going through like a sex scandal and some stuff all because of that. And it just, it goes, it strikes to your point you mentioned earlier about how without editorial, the, inf the, the information the public needs to be well-informed would be out there. Her name like, is Amy Robach, too. Thank you. The, yes, I was mm -hmm. blanking on that. There's a great video of her, basically, in a hot mic moment saying, I had this story. I had it way back and, when. And we got cut because we didn't want to lose access to the royal family. Right, right. because the crown was because a little upset that, that Andrew, Prince Andrew was implicated mm -hmm. in the Epstein scandal. Yeah. Just to make well, sure well, we and, talk about this so that we, this episode goes nowhere. This is the element that on here too, is that she got, um, she got fired for having an affair and had to make a public apology. And this is the thing that Tucker was saying on here is just like every one of these people is having affairs. <laughs> like, like every single one, like everyone's paying their assistance. Like in these age, in these in, in, in in industries, media specifically. In media, yeah. yeah. Like, like it's a very, this is a very much a common thing that exists within politics and media mm -hmm. and stuff. Like it's, it's Selective. very incestuous like this, which, which meant that that was a, punitive measure yeah. levied against her specifically because she went against the grain well, with the story. It, well it's the same thing like remember when megan kelly got fired from her job it wasn't from fox she she ended up having being on like a nbc morning show afterwards and she made a thing um something about halloween costumes and like blackface or something she she made a comment and um it, it seemed very clear that they wanted to fire her at this point because she's a right-wing person and all this stuff um and then it was like that was the thing and then she had to go on like a public apology tour and then she took the like 20 million dollars and dipped out and started a podcast yep. <laughs> um right it's, but it's, 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 bigger it, than but it's the same was. thing it's like you're supposed to go you have to do go through the dog and pony show and you have to do the public apology thing like this is like your embarrassing moment you have gone against the the cult the culture mm -hmm. right yeah you have to have your uh what do they call it like jumping out or whatever or yeah. you know of a gang where you have to like go through your your exit hazing <laughs> rather than interview yeah yeah so uh <laughs> the, the, the interesting dialogue that then happened after that is like why would anyone have criticism of william f buckley right so we kind of hinted at that mm -hmm. of course cia connections one of the questions this is the time frame of project mockingbird right? which to remind folks is the cia as well as the FBI's involvement in manipulating the U.S. media in order to drive support of the Cold War. You know, it's kind of interesting. War in so, Vietnam, South, uh, war in Korea, uh, the uh, suppressing the stories going on in Guatemala, uh, all of our operations across South America, which, you know, had, you know, was very, very visible uh, to the international public was completely unknown. If you talk about, hey, did you know that there was a guy named Godal in, in, in France that we tried to assassinate repeatedly throughout the 1960s and 70s? I had no idea why. Yeah, because we didn't like him. 
that's it. What did he do? That's the whole thing. He was just, he was too lefty, too much of a lefty, too close to the communists. So we tried oh. to kill him. The French president, right? And this is known now. And at the time it was known broadly by the European public, but Americans have no idea about it. Why? Project Mockingbird. That's why. And it was, it was effectively ended, right? And the church commission after um, Watergate, because the same cats who were doing, you know, the coup in Guatemala or um, trying to do stuff on behalf of United Fruit in South America throughout the 1960s and 50s, um, they got caught into Watergate, right? So a lot of those same cats end up getting in trouble, but not all of them. Uh, and you find things with the Kennedy assassination and stuff like that. They're also related to all those cats. Um, really, they, you're going to look at is a great book called uh, The Devil's Chessboard uh, by, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but it's about the, it's a biography of Alan Dulles, who was the guy who started the CIA from pretty much when it was the original World War II version of it. He worked in it. And then when it became the CIA, he was first director under Eisenhower going all the way till uh, he was fired by JFK for the Bay of Pigs. It was written by David Talbot. There, David Talbot, who's a super lefty, by the way, doesn't at all agree with my vision of government, but is very clear on this issue and has done a lot of great research. So the whole point I was making there is why would William F. Buffley, you know, people just now started becoming around to the fact or uh, a less than religious view of William F. Buckley. How about that? Well, when you look at the brand that we currently have of a super huge warfare state, you know, advocated by Nikki Haley versus a more restrained, you know, foreign policy defined by, you know, what takes care of America first, not the global war, like the global situation. That difference in vision is the difference that traces itself back all the way back to the 1950s with the founding National Review. It's always been a threat in the right, but the reason why it's been suppressed from 1950 till, till Ron Paul was William F. Buckley. That's a, and maybe another way to understand it. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, Buckley, um, I have a tweet pulled up from Liam, but he's just taking a quote directly from Buckley's book, which this is kind of the shift in the right-wing view of foreign policy, right? Is... Uh, Buckley says in his book, The Party in the Deep Blue, written in 1952, we have got to accept big government for the duration, right? He's telling conservatives, we have to accept big government, right? For neither an offensive nor a defensive war can be waged given our present government skills, except through the instrumentality of a totalitarian bureaucracy within our shores. Like this is Buckley, Mr. Conservative, saying that we have to establish a totalitarian bureaucracy in our shores. In order to wage war. <laughs> in order to wage war. If conservatives deem Soviet power are a menace to our freedom, as I happen to, they will have to support large armies and air force, atomic energy, central intelligence, war production boards, and the attendant centralization of power in Washington, even with Truman at the reins of it all. Um, so if you look at like the dispatch or the bulwark or all, all of the groups that left the National Review or left Weekly Standard or left Fox News at, during the Trump era and then went to start their own thing, this is exactly the things that they articulate. They say, and some of these guys I really like, like who are major influencers on my thinking, uh, you know, from 2004 to 2008, which was we need liberty and a narrowly con tailored constitution where the government pretty much just keeps us safe from foreign invasion and keeps us from going to war with other states within America. That's what we should have a federal government with where they will say all that stuff, but then say, we need a giant military industrial complex that will then invade all over the world and we'll, we'll never pay a cost from it because we're here, Fortress America, but we'll make sure that the entire globe is safe forever, right? That idea was started by William F. Buckley and exists and persists today at the bulwark and at these other think tanks and media outlets and uh, political actors like Nikki Haley 
as an expression of his original idea. This is the fundamental of all politics. Every idea in politics that is involved, invited by a political actor was once the idea of a defunct economist or philosopher. Hmm. So then this is the philosopher that formulated fusionism, which is that I'm a domestic libertarian, but I'm a international imperialist. Wild. That is American conservatism as it's, defined. It's wild it. that those two ideas can coexist in someone's head and have any degree of continuity when, when you know, greeted with even the slightest bit of, of introspection. How could you possibly hold those two ideas together? <laughs> Look at Dinesh D'Souza, who's just now, when he's, he's like 50, right? I don't know how old yeah. he is, but he's, well, he's he, older than me. He just, just now coming across the reality that, hey guys, the intelligence agencies are out of control. He has a new documentary called Police State now, yeah, which where, is about this. Where he's, and he's saying conservatives have been right, wrong about policing. Like this is Dinesh D'Souza saying this, right? And and he had uh, Dave Smith on actually and interviewing him. Um, yeah, like Dinesh D'Souza was interviewing Dave Smith who we just played there. And, uh, and Dinesh D'Souza said, I've come to the conclusion that Ron Paul was right about everything. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, (laughs) but it's interesting to see. Cause like, so one of my, on the historical side, one of my favorite books on this is Michael Malice's book, the new right. Uh, He wrote a book kind of outlining the history of the right wing, the right wing over the last century. And he showcases how the old right used to be, how the cold war era kind of changed everything and the right wing completely got co-opted and then then showcasing kind of the new elements and the new factions within like the new right again. So like you have the old right, which is like the anti-interventionist Calvin Coolidge type of right wing a hundred years ago. Yeah, Taft is the is the number one yeah. representative in the Senate. No, yeah. not, not Taft the president, Taft the senator. Yeah. And then this all happened. And now there's like a rebellion against the against this this neoconservative regime that overtook the right. And there has been kind of this rebellion brewing over the last 10 years and now we're seeing it with like kind of right-wing libertarians the trump people um you know etc and like all these factions are starting to coalesce and come together as like this new right Mm -hmm. right this episode is brought to you by our friends at zesty beverages they're on a mission to the standard american diet by crafting drinks with fewer calories and more nutrients from real food their lineup of delicious offerings now includes electric peak yerba mate postbiotic sodas Keto-friendly, ready-to-drink margaritas, and hard teas. Wondering what a postbiotic soda is? Well, head on over to ZestyBev.com to learn more and find a retailer near you. Once again, check them out online at ZestyBev.com. That's Z-E-S-T-Y-B-E-V.com. This is, remember, some time ago we covered it because uh, that comedian that now has a podcast, uh, Jimmy Dore, covered Liam's tweet about the old right. And he was like, it's always been like this. And his memory of this goes back to the Bush administration, right? So like yeah. the way Jim Adore thinks about this is like Bush administration was the beginning of American politics. But <laughs> that's hilarious. If you zoom out and you look at this, you see this arc of a reassertion today of an old right idea that a consistent view of limited government, that the war is the health of the state and that when we look at the militarization of our police or we look at censorship or we look at the degradation of our cultural values when it comes to freedom of speech, when it comes to trusting each other and in, in, in discourse and things like that, all of that is degraded by the large empire, not to mention, not to mention our immigration problems mm. are made worse by the large empire of our intelligence state and our military industrial complex, which has blown up around the world and made places like Colombia and Guatemala and uh, Cuba and all these places far worse than they otherwise would be creating the migrant crisis. Yet Cuba's probably not the best example. What I'm trying to say, what country am I looking for? Venezuela, maybe. Well, Venezuela is another Honduras. one. That's Honduras. Yeah. Mm. 
Yeah, right. I mean, like the Zeta drug cartel was a paid arm of the CIA. Mm-hmm. And we know this. You can look it up on Wikipedia, right? Yeah. And it's and we're still paying the costs of these things, but it's all hidden. These are all hidden costs. And well, more not just, people because of the internet are not all realizing well, it. Well, right. And not just us, but other countries. I mean, yes. with the Irish, you know, having 40,000 Ukrainians come to their country like that. That's right. a big deal. Mm-hmm. Well, and you you mentioned the phrase "war is the health of the, war is the health of the state," and that actually comes from a very particular thing in the um, in the progressive era during the Woodrow Wilson administration. So, uh, just to kind of further emphasize of the history a hundred years ago of where the right wing was was it was the progressives that were the hyper imperialists, and there was all these kind of big progressive thinkers, Woodrow Wilson, president, uh, you know, John, John Dewey, who was the kind of the big education guru. You had this guy um, kind of in this like writers club uh, called. Randolph Bourne and he wrote an essay called War is the Health of the State and this was him kind of critiquing his fellow progressives and um, then you had this the progressive regime they they saw him say that and there's like bro you can't you can't do that like you're you're kind of ruining everything that we're doing right here and Randolph Bourne was a cripple he was in a wheelchair and they wrote about him kind of ostracizing him from the club saying uh, saying that his uh, his mind, I'm going to, I'm paraphrasing the quote is like, his mind is as ill formed as his opinion or as his body because he's a cripple. Wow. Um, and then they pushed him out and he basically got ostracized from the progressive society. The progressives are, are being so intolerant with that view. I yeah. think so incongruous. Well, right, right, also era. remember these are, these are the eugenicists <laughs> yeah, of the time yeah, yeah, too. Right? Right, right, <laughs> yeah. right, right. Progressives um, had a different flavor back then. It wasn't a, it was a, it was a mustachioed progressive, not a <laughs> progressive with a smile. Right? Uh, this was 1984 progressives, not a Fahrenheit 9-11 progressives. Well, right? this, this goes to show of how like nonsensical all these labels actually are. Like we just kind of laid out where the conservatives were one way, then they were another way. And now they're becoming a new way again. And the progressives are the same way. Yeah. Like now the progressives are kind of like, like, oh, AOC, you know, blah, blah. But also like Hillary Clinton calls her a progressive. And those are very different things. Like right. that's the neoliberal order uh, that wants to like unify and globalize everything. Right. Well, AOC is kind of like, oh, let's be nice to any like, you know, minorities. You know? Like, like yeah. People kind of use these words to, you know, say whatever. They, totally. they don't mean anything. They're, right? they're so ambiguous. And I, I'm not to confuse things even further, but our neo... <laughs> Your AOC impression is just, a, you're just doing this. Oh, the <laughs> is she driving? Is that what she's yeah. doing? Yep. <laughs> is that what she's doing? Okay. She's not the brightest person. No, like, she, she's just kind of like, oh, she, she's, she's, she, smart. she's very she ditzy in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's like a very yeah. ditzy uh, energy to her. Um, <laughs> that's my ditzy, my ditzy energy, right? For those of you just listening, you, you're going to have to go find this on YouTube and subscribe while you're there to see doing right now yeah oh, i don't sorry. know what to do with my hands <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was one of these moments no i mean not to not to confuse us any further but just really quick so i can close this loop in my head we've talked about neoconservatism then you just brought in this neoliberal globalized uh, globalization sort of idea are neoconservatives also a part of the neoliberal world order? I think they're I think they're kind of part of the same cocktail party crew. Okay, yeah. right. they all, they like all rub, rub elbows, but they like disagree in public for for show. And, and they disagree behind the well, scenes yeah. too. I mean, they have different interest groups, right? So, like, look at the way the the many of the neoliberals were critical of uh, some engagements in the Middle East, but not all. Right? How some of them, where some of them, right? Like AOC is very, you know, on the side of the Palestinians, while all the neoliberals like Hillary Clinton are all on the side of Israel. There are various different, uh, and then the neoconservatives are very much with them on Israel and that. But then, like their vision for how to deal with Iran is different. 
versus you know so they have different well, policy consensus. prescriptions but really they agree on the fact that where they don't disagree is that there should be yeah. war going on we have an american that empire. we should be involved in yeah well, there's well, american empire the, what should we do with it right. here's right. also the problem with the neoliberal word is hillary clinton describes herself as kind of like a neoliberal and like joe biden is kind of like a neoliberal but if you go to wikipedia it says like f.a hayek and john and, and milton, milton friedman, friedman are, are, are neoliberals yeah. right so like like these words really don't mean anything so, so, the, so like if you and if you're self-describing yourself with these words like you don't know what you like the word is nothing it doesn't <laughs> yeah. mean anything well, people are trying <laughs> to attach meaning to it so it's like if what you're saying is i believe that there should be minimal barriers on people's be, ability to migrate to other areas and find prosperity and improve their lives um, that government should lower those barriers and lower the barriers of trade internationally. That's an old liberal idea. That's a classical liberal idea that exists with the radical Whigs, like Lord Acton, people like that way back in the 1880s. Right. And classical liberal. And again, just for people's edification is, is the term most commonly associated with modern day libertarianism. Correct. Yeah. Kind of. Uh, kind of. Yeah, it's, like, <laughs> it's complicated. Again, think of it. The words don't mean Think anything. of it like distillization, right? Right. So like, um, if you're thinking about like, if it was alcohol content, right? Uh, it was a pale ale, and now libertarianism is like uh, moonshine, right? It's like a way more distilled version of the same thing, right? Okay. It's both alcohol, but it's way more distilled, right? Gotcha. So that the invention of the nap, right? Drastically, the non-aggression, non-aggression, the principle. non-aggression principle drastically changed the way that even liberals at the time looked at government, right? Um, there was a different formulation of the moral standing where there was a tradition of anarchism, individualist anarchism going all the way back to Spooner and the American founding. Um, Rothbard has his history of the United States. He never got to finish it, but it's, it's called Conceived in Liberty. Volumes one and two are all about all these little tiny, um, basically like anarchist communes that would get started in America well before, you know, we were, we were just becoming a colony where people experiment with communism, individualist kind of anarchism, Nova Scotia. We've talked a little bit about them. The Acadians, the Acadians, you know, like there's lots of different, you know, with expansion, there was lots of different opportunities for experimentation in this area. And there were different threads of our ideologies, Americans that got formulated here and have through points going all the way till today. But there was always like a, there's always a contrast between like the min anarchist vision and the anarchist vision. There was always a contrast that that really came together in a in a full cohesion with uh, Mises, Hayek, Rothbard, and the libertarians of the of the 21st century, 20th century. 20th century, yeah. Um, that 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 distilled a lot into the present day vision, where it's more it's it's less of a utilitarian philosophy and more of a deontologist philosophy. It changed, it transformed from the value is in the individual. Uh, from the value is how we can best set up a system that gives everybody prosperity. Does that make sense? So the virtue of government, the inability for government to be moral at ever, and that the best that we're dealing with is systematic theft, murder, and exploitation versus, well, we're going to try to just maximize the best that we can. And the best way to do that is to have a minimal state. Does that make sense? Like that argument was, has been refined to such a point of like the evolution of that idea that's way ahead of where the liberals were at. I yeah, it's like, think of it like an evolution. Like mm-hmm. there's a, a new branch that exists in like the genetic, you know, there's like a genetic split and pff, comes out of it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So well, if you made it this far, congratulations, you're a nerd. <laughs> and we appreciate you for listening. Do Anything back else? To the ju- juiciness? We have a really cool news story. Oh, which one? Out of we? Texas. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So a judge in Texas has ordered the FBI to turn over Seth Rich's laptop. Who was Seth Rich, Kyle? 
Uh, Seth Rich, if you remember, was the uh, Democratic operative at the uh, DNC in 2016 that got murdered in an alleyway, kind of at like 2 a.m., 3 a.m. or whatever. Um, and there's a lot of kind of conspiracy around him. Um, it's pretty widely believed that he was giving information to WikiLeaks. And this was also the time period when at the DNC in 2016, the WikiLeaks uh, story dropped. And I believe Hillary's emails were part of that. But also it showed that there was collusion going on with the DNC, with Hillary Clinton and with CNN on a whole multitude of, of issues. One was like Donna Brazile at CNN was giving Hillary Clinton the debate questions ahead of time and they were kind of and uh and then there was like collusion of of disrupting bernie's campaign and make and just like really making sure that hillary clinton is the is the person is the nominee um and uh you know it's widely believed that seth rich and and WikiLeaks themselves have kind of nodded to this that Seth Rich is uh, was the informant that was giving them all this information and then he was murdered and it was supposed to be a robbery it was classified as a robbery although so although his um, wallet was still in place he didn't mm. there's no money gone so, yeah. so the police's story here and I'll try to I'll try to steal man the best I can yeah was that it was a botched robbery and listen what they mean by botched is he was stuck up he was actually on the phone with his girlfriend at the time and then like basically said oh I will talk, talk to you later and gun comes out give me your weapon give me all your money there's like a scuffle and then he runs away they shoot him in the back and then the robber then panics and runs right that's that's the police's story about what they think happened um, so, so course, the fact that the idea that he was murdered is, is not necessarily uh confirmed it's still in question well, it was as definitely to how. intentional homicide it's well, just sure. what was the motive was uh, it a robbery okay, or was fair. it to silence a guy who had betrayed was it someone on the clinton body list <laughs> right. You know, like, right that's the question right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So the best articulate of this of this point of view was Joe Rogan, and we were just just some bros today, guys. We we're just talking about Tucker Carlson, Tucker Joe Carlson, Rogan. Joe Rogan. Like, what's Dana White was on there? Oh man, yeah. got Elon in there too. A lot yeah. of testosterone in this room, gentlemen. <laughs> Should we just get some cigars going too while we're at it? <laughs> let's, let's do it. Get that nicotine. <laughs> Um, okay, so yeah, this yeah. is a uh, rant that Joe Rogan had on the uh, Seth Rich situation. Pot. I got problems. Listen, man, I'm not a fucking reputable person. In That's what I try to, to like tell my people. Political ideologies. I mean, I'm just not. I'm, I'm not that well read when it comes to politics. I have my opinions on things. But when it comes to things that are rock solid and clear, like that Seth Rich was murdered and people want to ignore it. I'm like, what the fuck do you think happened? There has to be some sort of a disconnect here. When a person is giving information to WikiLeaks that exposes corruption inside the very organization that's responsible for the fucking Democratic Party, and he gets murdered, and you're like, oh, the conspiracy theories. No, he got murdered. There's no conspiracy. It was a botched robbery. Says who? Says who? Where's his? How come his wallet was there? How come his watch was there? How come they didn't take his phone? What the fuck are you talking about that I'm a conspiracy theorist when I just tell you the facts? So and that, this, this WikiLeaks thing with Julian Assange is the craziest shit ever when he said there's consequences to sharing information with us. And everybody's like, he works for <laughs> Russia now. He works for Russia. So he isn't was that the darling of the left when so Obama accurate. was an officer. Yeah. Yeah. So it is. I was skeptical too. Like when the Seth Rich thing came out, I was like, holy buckets, right? Because it was a big story. It's kind of, it's kind of strange looking back now because everyone's kind of like, oh, of course the DNC conspired to, you know, edge out Bernie Sanders. But 
it was a huge deal back then. And there was a, the Bernie movement was enormous and a tremendous amount of people. And then there was a total like media coordinated campaign to basically paint it as misogyny to support yeah, Bernie remember, Sanders. Remember yeah. the Bernie bro thing? Well, and, 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 and like and, and, well, what else Elizabeth it? Warren's role in this too, in the campaign, it was so juicy. Like the tactics, how clearly like it just looking at it from an outside perspective, because Elizabeth Warren has always been like the banker candidate. Like she's always been that person. But in the 2016 campaign, she painted herself as like the female Bernie. So she's, so she's stripping voters away from him and then putting out, uh, uh, information about how Bernie is sexist and misogynist and trying to do the whole like typical lefty talking points. Right. And then everybody except for Elizabeth Warren, I think it was on like super Tuesday. Uh, um, they all drop out and endorse Biden, but on super Tuesday, which is kind of like the, the day that, uh, by, that Bernie needed, she stayed in, just peeled votes away from him. And then after super T- Tuesday dropped out and endorsed Biden. Right. Wow. So you just like, you you see like the coordination that exists here. It's just, it's so juicy. Yeah, it's wow. so juicy. Definitely next level. And, and Bernie Sanders does have some very risque poetry as well as short stories that yeah. are not exactly written in college kind of a yeah, thing. Yeah, they, they were they were a nineteen sixties vision of sex. It was not <laughs> it was it was very weird. <laughs> I I remember going to we had a protest one time at Montana State University. You and I got interviewed by Michael Tracy. Yeah. He's a journalist yeah. that I actually really like now, <laughs> yeah. although despised at the time. Because <laughs> yes. he was with the young Turks. <laughs> yeah. And uh and we had a we had a buddy who was handing out all of his poems to people standing in line. And these poems are absolutely disgusting. Yeah. And, and it was just, it was the reactions for people were just mind blowing as they would read these things and be like, what the, who, who was handing these out? Um, a, 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 a friend of ours. of ours was dressed up as Bernie Sanders. Yes. Oh, um, and, and he, and he yeah. had a, he had a fishing pole. <laughs> he, he had a fishing pole with a dollar on it. And yeah. He was like trying to fish up some liberals. Oh <laughs> it, was like, it was pretty, but he was handing out uh, Bernie Sanders poetry. Yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah. the first thing that comes up when I search Bernie Sanders poetry is an NPR article the Bernie Sanders rape fantasy essay explained. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just a headline wow. and it's NPR, but haven't, no, no, no. Uh, haven't it's real. It. No, it's real. Yeah. It's real. That's, that's accurate it. headline. <laughs> wow. Um, it is super creepy. So Next. where do we get that? Okay. Yeah. So Seth Rich, so the, the, this judge, there was a lawsuit that happened after all of that, uh, trying to get to some personal items that were taken from his apartment by the FBI after the murder. And this is another part of the weirdness of it. The FBI wouldn't have a role in just some random robbery in D.C., right? Right. They have police in D.C. for such things. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the FBI is the one who wound up with his laptop, his personal and work laptop, as well as some personal effects, including a a mysterious DVD that everyone's talking about. And this judge has ordered a for that to be given over to the um, the plaintiffs in this uh, in this lawsuit. I think the DVD, I heard the DVD was uh, from Bernie Sanders collection. Might be some interesting stuff. <laughs> yeah, dude. I know. I know. Come on. I'm not good for much around here except for just making stupid jokes and asking questions. Yeah. So um, that's that story. And it's a very interesting. One. We'll keep on. We'll keep uh, looking at it and uh, keep you guys updated as, yeah. it, as it develops because it is a big deal. I mean, the, the ultimate, um, uh, for example, Seymour Hirsch came out with a thing a long time ago talking about this not long after Seth Rich was killed. Uh, talking about like from his contacts that there was something there's juice here, right? So we want to keep looking at it because exposing the intelligence state and the deep state is, you know, if we're going to get to a state of freedom, it's, it's, it's not maybe number one priority, but it's in the top five for sure. Yeah. Uh, Additionally to that, the Pentagon failed at six in a row. Uh, That's, (laughs) 
Not surprising. I remember covering it like beginning of the year that they failed an audit. The fifth audit. Yeah. 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 Well, they failed the sixth audit. So I feel like we need a a counter. (laughs) Ding. Six. How much money was missing this time? Uh, It didn't say. It didn't say. It was just, it was mostly (laughs) about the, uh, um, and there there is uh, the comments. Like I posted it in the Discord. Someone could check them out. The uh, comments from the deputy press secretary, uh, Sabrina Singh, um, is is a classic case in misdirection. Like they get asked about it and they're like, hey, yeah, we failed out of like 98 different departments. 15 succeeded though. <laughs> the impoverished standards are so low. It's like, we learned a lot this time. It's like, it's the sixth time. The sixth time you're learning a lot. I mean, and, and like the press just go like, yeah, that's a good point. They are learning a lot. That's a good thing to know. <laughs> like, uh, it's like a, it's like a high school senior that's just failed, like or college seniors failed multiple times. Like, well, look, I mean like my sixth time around, like I did, I did learn more stuff. It's like, but you still didn't graduate. Yeah. Van Wilder. Yeah, <laughs> Van Wilder of budgets. Oh my wow. God. Yep. Oh, too much, too much. <sighs> That's uh, that's it for this week, guys. All oh, right. actually, I have I have one last thing because just it just goes into this. I don't know. I I, I figured we could do, just deal with a David rant after this. Did you see this tweet from Joe Biden? What does it say? Um, Read it out for the people. So uh, he said, "Let me be clear to any corporation that hasn't brought their prices back down, even as inflation has come down. It's time to stop the price gouging. Give American consumers a break." And I just love the com- the community notes comes in here, just like educating him on economics. Uh, as long as the inflation rate is positive, prices are going to continue increasing. <laughs> the flat the fact that inflation has come down to three point two percent in October means that prices are still going up, albeit at a slower rate than before. <laughs> So, <laughs> community notes has been incredible like, like it sometimes gets it wrong but for the most part it's just it's beautiful how well like the fact that the president of the united states is getting community noted like this it's just like constantly it's like well, every other tweet clear, seems to be it's, it. it's the president's like social media staffer that that doesn't understand inflation but somebody well, approved um, this but somebody clearly in the administration but I, I, like, I don't think joe biden understands inflation or anything either oh, anyway, of course, like, yeah. he doesn't know what's going on right <laughs> like, he doesn't get stares <laughs> yeah. i don't think he gets inflation but <laughs> it's a this is a classic uh, like democrat type of talking point inflation happens because greedy businessmen are now three percent greedier than they were last year and if they were less greedy, that would be less inflation. Well, didn't, just, didn't you hear that, um, you know, similar. egg producers were illegally exporting eggs to other countries and, and thus... <laughs> At the uh, wrong time of the year? Yeah. Well, How dare they export in November rather than some other time? We can't. We can't go into it because this will be yeah. a three-hour show if we do. But it's a very frustrating thing that this, this is a common uh, narrative that happens on the internet and in American discourse. And one of the things is just to say... Um, businesses are always greedy. Consumers are always greedy. Everyone on the planet would always rather have the things they spend money on be less and the things they can charge for their money be more, including the people that you buy from. So where do prices come from? Where do they come from, Joe? Uh, They come from the buyer and the seller deciding on what they're both willing to exchange. All right. So what is the social function of prices? What is it, David? So the utility that prices play in the economy is to coordinate supply and demand, right? Prices are the mediating signal for how much to make and what to make, right? So when all the prices go up simultaneously, it isn't just the producers that determine that. It's also the consumers. And it's also why would everything go up together, 
Why wouldn't there be multiple signals? Now, now there is multiple signals. This is a complicated story to say it goes all up together because I'm sure you can find some things that have gone down in price, but you usually have discrete explanations for that. Why is everyone's material inputs going up at the same time? Lumber to concrete. These are very two very different products. Why? Well, maybe the shutdown of the economy. Maybe printing trillions of dollars has something to do with it. Yeah. And then for the president of the United States, just to blame businesses, it's, you know, I, I, personally, I think it's un-American, right? It's like this FDR sort of thing that we just let presidents get away with. But these are, these are the people who pay for everything. Yeah. Literally everything. Like 70% of the total federal budget is just paid for by the largest corporations and most highest earning individuals. So like, and then the, he's over here just saying, well, why don't you bring your prices down? Why don't you cut taxes? Why don't you cut spending? There's a million things you could do to help with this situation, but you'd rather blame businesses who are actually providing a good that people want. Unlike <sighs> the government. Unlike the government. All right. On that note, thank you so much for watching and listening today. We appreciate you very, very much. Please do like, subscribe, all those fun things and be well. We'll see you in the next one. Thanks for tuning in to Human Reaction. Help us fight internet censorship by liking, commenting, subscribing, following, and sharing the show with your friends. To find us around the internet, visit linktree.com slash human reaction pod. And remember, take it easy, Elon Musk. (laughs) (laughs) Go fuck yourself, NSA. (laughs)